for the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to Episode 42, the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup Year in Review, Part 2. In today's episode, we'll take a look back at the drivers who placed 6 through 10 in the 1997 point standings. The 10th place finisher in the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup Series point standings was Ken Trader piloting the number 33 Skull Chevrolet for Andy Petrie Racing. Schrader scored two top five finishes, eight top tens, won two poles, and had one did not finish and led 46 laps. This was a significant turnaround for the number 33 team. So if we remember the history of this team, everyone remembers the great years for Harry Gann in this car in the late 80s to early 90s. And then, of course, Andy Petrie left to be Dale Earnhardt's crew chief. And Gant, toward the end of his career, struggled in 1993 and 1994. The team decided to put Robert Presley in the car, a rookie, in 1995, and he had some good runs, but struggled as to be expected. And 1996 didn't go much better with the team finishing outside the top 25 in owner points. So Petrie, who had gained ownership of the team late in the 1996 season from Leo Jackson, wanted a veteran driver. And Ken Schrader was available after he had agreed to mutually part ways with Rick Hendrick after driving the 25 car for many seasons with a lot of success, but he had not been to victory lane since the 1991 season. So Schrader and Petrie had a tall task. This was a team that I think maybe a lot of the fans and media overrated a little bit for expectations just because of everyone had those memories of how good Gant was in the early 90s. But the truth was is that the last couple seasons of Harry Gant's career, things were falling off, and Robert Presley certainly didn't have Perfect equipment and his inexperience played into that some as well. It's kind of the aura around the 21 car and the 43 car as those two cars got away from the dominant years of the 70s with Pearson and Petty in them. People still expected that that was really, really good equipment when most knew that it really wasn't where it had been in the past. But it was a very successful season for Schrader, although it got off to a slow start. And the first 11 races were the first third of the season. He scored just two top 10 finishes an 8th place at Darlington, and a 10th place at Martinsville. But he ran extremely well at the Coca-Cola 600, was running up front. Unfortunately, he had a blown engine and it did not finish. He ultimately would be 20th in points after the Coca-Cola 600. But things started to turn around in the late spring to early summer. He had one of his best runs, finishing 6th at Dover in June. And then he won the pole at the Loudoun July race and came home 11th. That would follow 9 finishes of 15th or better including a 6th place run at the Bristol Night Race, a 10th place finish in the Southern 500, another pole at Loudoun in September, unfortunately he was involved in a crash and finished 37th, and in the final 7 races of the season, while other drivers battling for top 10 finishes and points struggled or made mistakes, Schrader had 6 finishes of 20th or better, including 2 4th place finishes, one coming at Talladega and the other at Phoenix. Now in that Talladega race, it looked like Schrader may be destined to break that long NASCAR Winston Cup losing streak, which dated all the way back to 1991 when he was driving for Hendrick Motorsports. He was leading late in the race, but the brothers Labonte teamed up to pass Schrader, and he had to settle for a fourth-place finish. He also, during that streak of races, came home with a ninth-place finish at Martinsville. He was able to complete 98% of the laps run all season, and the only time he was in the top 10 in points was after the season finale in Atlanta. It had been an excellent season for Ken Trader and Andy Petrie. They had taken a team that was unable to finish in the top 25 in owner points the previous season and finished 10th in points. 
Schrader was looking forward to 1998, and it would be the same combination of car owner, driver, and sponsor. Finishing ninth in the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup point standings was Rusty Wallace. He picked up one victory. He had eight top five finishes, 12 top tens. He won a pole, but he had a staggering 11 did not finishes, and he led 785 laps. This was an interesting season for Rusty Wallace. It seemed like he either had a really good run, blew up, or had some type of other problem or crashed or had a DNF. The first eight races were a roller coaster of up and downs. It started out poorly at the Daytona 500 with another engine problem and a 41st place finish. In addition to that, he was 31st at Atlanta and 37th at Texas due to crashes. On the good side, he had ran a strong six at Rockingham. He was able to outduel Dale Jarrett on a late race restart and win the spring Richmond race after spinning early in the race. He came home sixth at the Trans-South Financial 400 at Darlington. He was about a quarter of a mile from victory at Bristol, only to get moved out of the way by Jeff Gordon in turn three and have to finish for second. And he came home fifth at Martinsville. That left him ninth in points through the first eight races. But things took a turn for the significantly worse after his good day at Martinsville. At Sonoma and Talladega, he had engine problems and finished 40th and 37th, respectively. He came back and bounced back with a strong second-place finish to Jeff Gordon at the Coca-Cola 600 Memorial Day weekend. But his good luck didn't even last one race later. He blew an engine at Dover and finished 39th. He then had a surprisingly good run at a restrictor plate track, coming home 6th at the Pepsi 400. He had one of his better finishes of the first half of the season, coming home 3rd at Loudoun. But then he ran into engine problems again. At Pocono in Indianapolis, engine problems resulted in did not finishes in the 37th and 38th position. This was the sixth engine problem that Rusty Wallace had had in the 1997 season. It left him 15th in points after the Brickyard 400. Wallace had a bit of a bounce back in the last third of the season. He came home third at Watkins Glen, ran fifth at the Richmond Night Race, and was second at the penultimate race of the season at Phoenix. His ninth-place points finish was his worst since the 1992 season when he finished 13th in points, and it was the least wins in a season since 1992 when Rusty Wallace won just once. Now, a couple of notes. He could have easily had a couple more victories. The Bristol victory was in sight if he hadn't gotten nudged by Jeff Gordon on the last lap and hadn't come up on the slow car of Jimmy Spencer off of turn two. In addition, he had the field absolutely covered in the fall race at Martinsville, only to be black flag late in the race for jumping the start. So it's very easy to see that Rusty Wallace probably could have picked up about three wins on the season. But it was a big concern all the did not finishes he was having, especially the engine problems. Going into the 1997 season, Rusty Wallace had won six, five races in 1996. He had looked pretty strong at a variety of tracks, and many people were thinking that he could be a serious contender for the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. And really, it was pretty much over for Rusty after he blew up back-to-back -back races at Sonoma and Talladega. So for the 1998 season, Rusty Wallace would gain a teammate in Jeremy Mayfield as Penske South and Michael Cranenfest decided to combine operations. And Wallace was hoped for a bounce-back season. The eighth-place finisher in points in 1997 was Bill Elliott. He did not go to victory lane, but he did score five top-five finishes 14 top 10s, he won a pole and was able to lead 442 laps. He had three did not finishes, 
but that's a little deceiving because one was due to running out of grass at Fontana. The season got off to an excellent start for Bill Elliott. He was looking for a bounce back after a tough 1996 season for him competitively and physically. Everyone remembers that in the Talladega spring race at the Winston 500, his car got up in the air and he fractured his femur. He had to sit out about 10 races. And when he came back, he was just trying to get back in form. And it had been a tough year for his team. And he was looking for a bounce back now that he was fully healthy in 1997. It couldn't have started any better. They did a total 500. He led 30 laps. And it looked like he might be on his way to victory, only to be passed by Jeff Gordon on the apron getting into turn one. He ultimately would have to settle for a fourth place finish behind the three Hendrick cars. After that, though, the first 10 races were difficult for Elliott. He only had one other top 10 finish, a seventh place run at Bristol, and he had three finishes of 30th or worse. But things started to turn around around Memorial Day weekend. He finished fourth at the Coca-Cola 600. A couple weeks later, he was second in the June Michigan race. And he would have, in the next eight races, he would score seven top 10 finishes, which would include a best finish at the Southern 500 of four, where he led 181 laps. Again, it looked like he, the Southern 500 might be the day that Bill Elliott would get back to victory lane and break that long losing streak. Ironically, his last victory being at the 1994 Southern 500 when he was driving the number 11 car for Junior Johnson. But it seemed like Elliott's car performed better earlier in the race when it was sunny and the track was more sticky. As it got more shady and some of the rains came and cooled the track off, it seemed like Elliott's car wasn't quite as good. Still, it was a great run for him at the Southern 500. He followed that up the following weekend by winning the pole at Richmond, but some bad luck with how cautions foul and green flag pit stops resulted in a 30th place finish. But Elliott bounced back quickly. In the next seven races, he had finishes a 15th or better. This included an 8th place run at the Monster Mount Dover, a strong 5th place run at the Short Track in Martinsville, a seventh-place run at the Fall Charlotte race. Elliott ultimately completed 98% of the laps, and this was an excellent bounce-back season for Bill Elliott. He'd come home eighth in points. He'd had a couple legitimate chances to win races. He was very good at the Coca-Cola 600, had a great chance for victory at the Daytona 500, and had a really good car at the Southern 500. Things looked like they were turning the corner for Elliott. He was much more competitive, he was healthy this season, and he was looking forward to 1998. Finishing 7th in points, the best he had ever finished in NASCAR Winston Cup points, was Bobby Labonte. He picked up one victory, had 9 top 5 finishes, 18 top 10s, won 3 poles, and had one race that he did not finish. The first 6 races of the season started out very strong for Bobby Labonte. He scored 3 top 5 finishes, including a 3rd place run at the inaugural race at the Texas Motor Speedway. He also had a strong day at Atlanta and Darlington. He was third in points after the Texas race, and he came home eighth at Martinsville, which was a very good run for Bobby Labonte, as he had typically struggled at short tracks. He was third at the Winston 500, came home sixth at the Coca-Cola 600 Memorial Day weekend, and he followed up that momentum by winning the pole the following week at Dover. Unfortunately, he was involved in an early race crash and credited with a 40th place finish. June continued to be a little bit rough on Bobby Labonte. He finished 31st at Pocono. But then he was able to bounce back with three top 10 finishes in a row and had a pretty strong August, which included a second place run at the Brickyard 400. And he would have four top 10s in the next five races. The only poor finish, a 37th place run at Watkins Glen. He showed some strength in the fall too as well. He was second in the fall Charlotte race 
and may have had the car to beat if it wasn't for a spin midway through the race and his engine having some slight problems late in the race. At Talladega, he was second to his brother. He won the pole at the Fall Rockingham race and came home 11 and closed out the season in style. He started 21st on the newly configured Atlanta Motor Speedway. He led 168 laps, the most of all of his competitors, and easily cruised to the victory. For the second straight season, Bobby Labonte had picked up his lone NASCAR Winston Cup win in the last race, just like 1996. He now had five career NASCAR Winston Cup wins. And basically, the entire second half of the season, Bobby Labonte sat seventh in points. Labonte was also starting to show some good consistency at a variety of tracks. We saw better runs at the short tracks that had haunted Bobby previously. And he was very, very good at the restrictor plate races, too, as well. Labonte had a lot of momentum. And this number 18 team was excited for the 1998 season. They made a big gamble, Joe Gibbs had, switching away from Chevrolet in 1996 to Pontiac in 1997. I think Gibbs realized that this may be a short-term loss for a long-term gain. He understood that Rick Hendrick's team and Richard Childers were always going to roll the roost at Chevrolet. And it was unlikely that he was ever going to be the big dog. So it made sense to go over to Pontiac where his team could get a lot of attention. Now, Pontiac had struggled in 1996 with only Bobby Hamilton picking up a victory. And I feel that they, Bobby Labonte knew that he would take some lumps early in the season, and so did Joe Gibbs. But they had believed that this could be a strong car, and if NASCAR tweaked the rules, that they could be very, very competitive. And we saw that the intermediate tracks late in the season with really good runs at both Charlotte and Atlanta. It will... I would kind of describe it with Joe Gibbs if he was the head coach. And he knew that he had a rookie quarterback that had a lot of talent and he had an experienced veteran. And he knew that probably this team wasn't going to be extremely competitive in terms of having a chance to win the Super Bowl. So he decided to take that short-term loss and invest in that rookie quarterback because he knew the return would be greater down the road. I feel like that was the situation with Bobby Labonte. He knew that Bobby Labonte was a budding talent and that he was continuing to progress well. But he also understood that 1997 probably wasn't going to be a year that Joe Gibbs Racing was going to contend for the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. They needed to get more consistent. They needed to build up. So if they could use the next couple seasons to still be really competitive and start getting closer and closer to the championship, then it would give them a really good chance and a really big advantage with Pontiac. And it seemed like all those things were coming Together, Labonte would be back in the number 18 car for 1998, looking for even more success. The sixth-place finisher in the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup points was the defending NASCAR Winston Cup champion, Terry Labonte. On the season, he picked up one victory, he had eight top-five finishes, he had 20 top-tens, and he had three did-not finishes. Labonte got off to an unbelievable start to the season from a consistency perspective. In the first 13 races, he scored five top fives, including a second-place run at the Daytona 500, a third-place finish at both Bristol and Sonoma. He had 11 top 10 finishes, and his worst finish in those first 13 races was just a 14th-place finish at Dover. Now, a couple notes. Labonte had been unbelievably consistent to start the season, but notice the differential between the top fives and top tens. He had five top fives and 11 top tens, so that means there were six top tens where he failed to finish in the top five. And that doesn't seem like too big of a deal, 
But when you look at the NASCAR Winston Cup point standings at that time, you know, there was a big difference between a fourth and seventh place finish. You know, as you went down, you're talking about, you know, a difference of 14 to 15 points somewhere in there. So you add that up over the course of, say, you know, six races, and you're talking about, you know, losing out on close to 90 points. Labonte had a narrow lead over Jeff Gordon after Dover, um, and he was the points leader. Um, the points lead swapped around a couple times in June, but Labonte regained the points lead after Jeff Gordon didn't run exceptionally well um, in a couple races. And then Labonte came home 39th in the June Michigan race when he ran over a piece of debris and crashed in turn two. He bounced back to finish second to his teammate Jeff Gordon at Fontana, and he was second at the Pepsi 400 at Daytona to John Andretti. He was struggling all day at Loudoun in July, but got his car going in the right direction late in the race and came home seventh. Jeff Gordon's finish outside the top 20 had given Terry Labonte the chance to regain the points lead. But the points lead for Terry Labonte would unfortunately be short-lived. At Pocono, he was already struggling in the race, running multiple laps down when he got caught up in a crash in the tunnel turn. He would ultimately finish in the 35th position. A couple weeks later, at the next race at the Brickyard 400, Labonte blew an engine and finished 40th. In the span of two races, he went from being in the points lead to being fourth in points. He got things back on track with four top tens from the Bristol at Bristol and with good runs at Bristol and Darlington. But then he had five races where he failed to finish in the top 10, which included a 41st place run at Loudoun, which really put the nail in the coffin of any Winston Cup championship hopes. And then he was 37th at Dover. Labonte did manage to win a race late in the season. He picked up a victory at the Die Hard 500 at Talladega when his brother Bobby Labonte helped him to pass Ken Schrader late in the race, and Labonte led 70 laps. This was pretty typical of Terry Labonte's results with Rick Hendrick. He typically finished somewhere around the top six or seven in points, picked up a victory, and had a very consistent season. The biggest difference for Labonte was the did-not-finishes. He had three, and he had a lot of struggles, even in races where he did not finish, where they just didn't have the car right in the second half of the season. And he had that big gap between the number of top fives and the number of top tens he scored. He ended up ultimately with just eight top five finishes, which remember, he scored five top fives in the first 13 races. So that means in the final 19 races of the season, he had just three top five finishes. So maybe Labonte was just due for bad luck after having an excellent 1996 season. How things would go in 1998 would be very interesting for Taylor Labonte. Was this team starting to go in the wrong direction? What would happen with Labonte's crew chief situation with Gary Dehart leaving? Could he bounce back and really have another chance to be a serious NASCAR Winston Cup championship contender? Or was Labonte destined to be a top 10 driver who picked up a couple of victories but wasn't really going to be a guy who was going to have another great shot at a championship in his career? So we take a look at the drivers who scored 6-10 in the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup point standings. I would place them into two categories, drivers that would be pleasantly surprised with their results and drivers that would be somewhat disappointed with the results. So for the pleasant surprises, Ken Schrader had to be a pleasant surprise finishing 10th in points. We discussed it earlier, but the number 33 team had really struggled for the last four seasons with both Harry Gant driving the car at the end of his career and Robert Presley. And the season started out very slowly for the number 33 team. 
So for Ken Schrader to come on as well as he did in really the second half of the season and finish 10th in points after he was not 10th in points for the entire season, that was an excellent accomplishment. And he had some very good runs on a variety of tracks. So there was a lot to be proud of for both Andy Petrie and Ken Schrader. I also feel that Bobby Labonte had a pleasantly surprising season as well. He was 11th in points in 1996 and won the season finale in Atlanta. The biggest thing that I saw out of Bobby Labonte in 1997 was more consistency and better runs at some of the tracks that had been his nemesis. He'd had better days at some of the short tracks, which he had struggled at in the past, and he was getting a better feel for just all the tracks. His team was showing better overall consistency, and Labonte was seeming to make good decisions on the racetrack too as well. As we talked about earlier, Joe Gibbs had made a big gamble to switch away from Chevrolet and go to Pontiac in the 1997 season. This would pay dividends down the road for him, and it was a really forward-thinking move. He knew he could be the biggest fish in the pond at Pontiac, and he knew that they maybe take some would take some lumps in the 1997 season, but it would be worthwhile for Bobby Labonte in the future, and history would prove this out. As for the somewhat disappointing drivers, Probably of the entire bunch, you would have to say that Rusty Wallace's finishing ninth in points had to be a pretty big disappointment. Wallace, when the car was on and didn't have mechanical problems, ran very, very well. He went to victory lane in the spring Richmond race, could have won the spring Bristol race, and should have probably run the fall Martinsville race. But the team had way too many mechanical problems. It's hard to believe that a team like Penske South Racing was blowing engines left and right like they were some struggling team and there were starting to be some questions a little bit about rusty wallace and how much longer would he be around i remember him talking about being very frustrated after they blew up at indianapolis about jerry punch who was a friend of his working for abc asking rusty about the future prospects for his career so wallace would definitely be looking for a turnaround in 1998 it also was a somewhat disappointing season for Terry Labonte. When the season had started, Labonte had high hopes to defend his 1996 NASCAR Winston Cup championship. And generally, he was doing a great job through the first 13 races, with every finish being in the top 14 or better. But the problem was is that, like I said, they weren't really capitalizing on getting those really good top five finishes like Labonte did in 1996. And that was leaving some points on the table. So when he had his big problem at the spring Michigan race, it allowed Jeff Gordon to leapfrog back in the points. Then Gordon had some problems at Daytona and Loudoun, and Labonte was once again the points leader. But no sooner did he get the points lead that he was already experiencing a terrible run at Pocono when it got even worse with the crash, and then he blew up the next week at Indianapolis, and at that point it was going to be a long climb for Labonte to get back in the points race. They really didn't run all that great the second half of the 1997 season, he did pick up a victory at Talladega, and he finished sixth in points. This is generally where Terry Labonte had been at when he'd been with Rick Hendrick. In 94, 95, he'd finished around sixth or so in points and usually picked up a couple of victories. He only had one victory this time in 1997. The other driver that probably we would say had a somewhat pleasantly surprising season was Bill Elliott. 1996 had been really difficult on Bill Elliott. He had been involved in that crash, had to be out of the race car. The drivers that he tried to put into his car didn't have exceptional success. He maybe was feeling a little bit of the pressure from McDonald. In two seasons, his car had yet to get to victory lane. And Elliott was trying to make it work as an owner driver. So 1997 was a great season. He had had a couple legitimate chances at victory. 
looked like he had a shot at victory at the Daytona 500, only for Jeff Gordon and Hendrick to team up on him late in the race. And he had a really strong car for the first half of the Southern 500. So Elliott had to feel good about where things were going after this previous disappointment, but he was still looking to break that long losing streak that dated all the way back to 1994 Southern 500. So that's a wrap, taking a look back at the drivers who finished 6th through 10th in the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup point stand. In the next episode, we will take a look back at the drivers who finished 5th through 1st in the point standing and take a look back at their season. These five drivers really dominated the statistics, and the top four of these drivers really dominated the victories too as well. For the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast, I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.